Was everybody warm enough? I am. <laughs> Everybody's bundled up, well, for the most part. I mean, what's it, 20 degrees out there now? It's warming up a little, right? At least it's not 11. 11 degrees like it was a couple days ago. Yeah, it was 17 or 16 when I woke up, and uh, it was like 21, I think, when I checked just a minute ago out there, because the sun is out, so it, it feels warmer, All right? All right, well, we're continuing on in John chapter 6. We're going to be uh, possibly finishing up the chapter this morning, even with our sparse crowd. Hopefully everyone else will get a chance to watch online as a lot of people are out of town this week. But we're going to be finishing up possibly chapter 6, and that just depends on whether or not I feel we need to touch on anything else after uh, we discuss what we're going to discuss this morning. And uh, we're still discussing, we're still going over Jesus' response to the crowd. Remember, the verses that we read last week, starting in verse 22 and going through the end of the chapter, which is verse 71, um, is Jesus responding to the crowd. And you remember, the crowd's been following Jesus pretty much since he fed the 5,000. And after he got done feeding the 5,000, he saw that the crowd was coming to make him king. They were going to physically take hold of Jesus and try to, for their own will, right? this was their will for Jesus. It wasn't Jesus's will, obviously. Uh, and they wanted to make him king. They wanted to make him a physical king in a way that he was not going to be king. So uh, Jesus, seeing, knowing the intentions of the crowd, seeing the crowd, got his disciples on a boat and sent them across the Sea of Galilee, Lake Tiberias. And uh, of course, we understand there was the storm and Jesus walked on the water. And that happened in the middle of the night. And no one actually saw Jesus. They saw that he didn't get on the boat, but they didn't see what happened to him after that. So the crowd the next day, they couldn't find him. They know it's a long walk around the lake, but they couldn't find Jesus. They never saw him get on a boat and they were searching for Jesus. So they themselves get on boats there was a lot of people, and they go across the lake in search of Jesus, and they find Jesus on the other side, and they start asking them questions, starting with, of course, was, how did you get here, right? I mean, we didn't see you get on the boat and leave. So this whole thing that we've been going through for last week and this week is, the, is Jesus' response to the crowd that's been following him. And they're following him uh, because of the miracles, basically, but not because of what the miracles testify to. They, right? It tells us in John, one of the theme verses for the, for the gospel of John is John 20, verse 31, which tells us that the gospel of John is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, believe, and that by believing you will have life in his name. Well, this has to do, I mean, one of the things that John does, the purpose of the gospel of John is to show that Jesus is God. And so of the different signs that John shows as we go through the gospel, the different miracles, uh, these miracles had a purpose to show 
show that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God. So these signs, these miracles had a purpose. The crowd was following him because of the miracles. They thought it was really cool, but not because of what the miracles testified to. They weren't following him because they understood that the miracles testified to the fact that he was the Son of God, that he was God the Son, that he was God. They were following him because they liked the food and the, the, the fish and the loaves. They liked what they were getting out of it, how it was, in a sense, uh, meeting a physical need of theirs, but it wasn't but they weren't there for, to meet what they really truly needed, which was the spiritual need that they had. So, so many in the crowd, this whole crowd's been following Jesus, but they aren't doing it because they understand what the miracles declare and what Jesus te- you know, declares about who he is. Right? They aren't following him because that there's, they understand that there's life in his name and that by believing in Jesus that they can have eternal life. They're following Jesus just because of the fish and bread. They're following Jesus you know, just because of what they're getting from it physically. So Jesus, remember last week when they got to the other side, they said, well, how did you get here? And Jesus doesn't really answer that question, but he does answer a question, but he addresses the spiritual need. He immediately calls their motives into question and he says, well, you're only following me because of the loaves and the fish. And, but it's not physical food that you need. It's not physical bread that you need. It's spiritual. You need the bread of life. There is uh, a bread of life that comes down from heaven that can give you eternal life. It's a bread of life that leads to eternal life. This is the bread that you need. And they're like, we want this bread. You know, obviously we want this bread. And uh, he says, well, I am the bread of life. And that's when the conversation shifts. Right? That's when the conversation shifts. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning because the conversation shifts as soon as they, it clicks in their brain that Jesus is telling them who he is. As soon as it clicks, as soon as he starts saying, well, I am the bread of life, I have come down from heaven. I am the bread of life that's come down from heaven. The conversation changes. And they start having you could say issues, right? Uh, dealing with what Jesus is saying, the words that Jesus is saying, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about the conversation that comes right after verse 35, right? The conversation that comes right after that first I am statement in the Gospel of John when he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Had Jesus just stopped there with that statement and not followed it up, they might have had a different reaction from the crowd, but that's not how Jesus addresses the crowd because remember, Jesus understands their hearts. Jesus understands who in the crowd's going to believe in him or not. Jesus understands their motives. And this is what he's addressing. So Jesus continues on and what he says they find to be hard sayings. That's how they referred to it later on. right? These are hard sayings. And I just want to say that nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Understand, right? The hard sayings that are being addressed here in John chapter 6, are the same hard sayings for the most part, at least the first one, without a doubt, that people still struggle with today. It's still some of the same hard sayings that, that, that still cause division, that still cause people to grumble, that still cause people who were following Jesus. Understand, these people are following Jesus, but they're following Jesus, but they have not devoted their lives or given their lives or surrendered their lives to Jesus, but they are following Jesus. And then these same hard sayings are this still cause people who are following him to leave him, to turn their backs and walk away. 
because they hadn't given their life to Jesus. They haven't surrendered their life to Jesus. They're just following him. They're interested. What's going on? Who is Jesus, right? And I was reminded of that this week. I was reminded of the fact that these are still the same questions that we struggle with, that people who aren't in Christ struggle with, and even those in the church still struggle with some of these same questions today. And uh, I was reminded of that when, uh, you know, one of the things that I do every week, or almost every week, um, after, after Sunday is, is I go and I take the, uh, the recording of the, the sermon. Of course, we post that and stuff like that. But I, I take the recording and I trim down, I cut out a section of it down to roughly a 60-second short and sometimes it's shorter than that. Sometimes it's like 45 seconds, which is kind of hard to do sometimes. Um, so I try to find a section and I cut it down to this little 45, 60 second short. And then I post that short up on Instagram and YouTube. And, you know, um, sometimes a lot of people look at them. When I say a lot of people, I mean maybe 100. And sometimes nobody looks at them. But I, I post them there every week. Well, this last week, I, I cut out a clip from what we talked about. Uh, last Sunday, and I posted it to YouTube, and I'd almost forgotten to do it. I, I did it Thursday, and I posted it up there to YouTube, and um, I had it, I don't remember what time I had it come on, like 6.30, I think, and um, we were in a 4-H online meeting with uh, Jody and Martin, and um, when I got done, I looked, because I knew that the uh, the short had, you know, had premiered, basically, posted on YouTube, and I look, and it already has almost 1,900 views. It's now the most viewed short on our YouTube channel. We, we've never had a short that it's had that many views. And, uh, and then there was just a whole bunch of comments, which never happens. People never comment on, on anything. Very seldom do people comment on things. Our most viewed video of all time on our YouTube channel is Genesis chapter 10, the Table of Nations, which has over 2,000 views for a 45-minute video. That's ridiculous. I don't understand why so many people are, have looked at it. And that thing has a ton of questions because people want to debate different things about genealogy and, and nations and names and stuff like that. But this was just a little 45-second you know, shh short. I wasn't expecting it to have 1,900 views, and I wasn't expecting to have all these comments. Well, one of the comments, and there, most of the comments were, were decent, um, but one of the comments necess wasn't necessarily, and all he said, what, all this gentleman said was, I assume it's a gentleman, all this gentleman said was, wrong. That's all he said. Now, my clip, what did my clip address? My clip addressed the fact that as a church, one of the problems you know, that there is today is the fact that the church changes the message of the gospel. Okay, And I said, Jesus, this little clip is me talking about the fact that Jesus never changed his message. And if you look at the reaction of the crowds when we're going through that today, because this is how you can tell what's a hard saying in John chapter 6, because you can tell by the reaction of the crowd. So uh, Jesus never changed the message. Matter of fact, as we said last week, it seems like he made the message a little more difficult for him to understand. The more they said, oh, we don't get this, the more he made it more difficult. And they're like, we still don't get this, right? So he was, so it would seem like, you know, Jesus wasn't willing to water down the message. He wasn't willing to placate the crowd. He wasn't willing to make it more palatable in that sense. So that was easier for them to digest. He, he didn't change it. He didn't change the message at all. So, and I said, you know, this is what we need to do. We need to stand true to the message and not change the gospel. 
And so this gentleman was like, wrong. Right? That was his, his response. And, um, and in, a, in a sense, he was grumbling, pretty much like uh, you know, your reaction you see here from the crowd that's following Jesus. Right? So I had this back and forth with him. And I said, what's wrong? Right? What's wrong with the message? He said, well, the message has, the, word, the words, the Bible, he's, re- he's referencing the Bible. The, the words of the Bible have been changed so much since, since it was written that you can't trust them, which as we know here, most of us here in this room understand, is, is an argument that will never hold up in court. Right? Because if you actually do, I told him, I said, that's actually not true because if you actually study the historical evidence concerning the Bible and you'll find that it, it hasn't changed, right? So, but he didn't want to hear that. So um, he, I said, you know, he told me that I seemed like a, I don't remember the exact word now, but basically I was a Jesus freak. I'm like, okay, you can call me that if, if you want to. I don't have a problem with it, but he basically proved my point. And my point was uh, that, you know, there's a certain thing that people... Um, have a problem with. And it's usually not that Jesus existed, it's what Jesus said. That's usually the problem. There's too much historical evidence to, to prove that Jesus existed, but what people have a problem with is what Jesus said. They, if Jesus declared himself to be God or not. Right? So they don't argue everything, but they argue about what he said. And this guy kind of proved my point. It was like, here he is showing me exactly what I was talking about is that I'm not willing to change the message. I'm not willing to water down the gospel. You don't like it because you don't want to accept what he said. You're, you're, willing, you're willing to accept the lie that the word's been changed so we can't trust it. And you're not willing to investigate it and look into it yourself and whether or not it's true. You just want to accept that it's a lie. And so therefore you think Jesus is a lie. You're not willing to accept him because you don't want to accept his word. Right? And so that's what they're grumbling about today. This is what the reaction of the crowd to Jesus, it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. They're willing to accept the fact that Jesus existed. They don't really want to accept what he said. They don't want to accept what he said. They, they have a problem with the fact that Jesus, like what today, that Jesus said he came down from heaven. Right? That Jesus said that you would have to partake of him for eternal life through him. Right? As he says in more graphic terms, as, as we'll get through. Those are the hard sayings that that they had a problem with here in John chapter 6. And there's a lot of those hard sayings are the same things that people have problems with today. Right? So we're going to look at the hard sayings. At least there's three of them. There might be more, but we're going to look at three of them. Um, I am going to read again verses 22 through the end of the chapter. We'll go over the whole section again just for context. Chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you, get, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, that means, hey, listen up, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God 
that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. So he's declaring that he's greater than Moses. That's a big statement right there. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And here's where the troubles start happening. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the father gives me will, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes from comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh." Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As a living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, men, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who's, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed in you and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these words. I thank you for these sayings, even these hard sayings, Lord, that we can grow from them. And I pray, Lord, that you uh, speak these into our heart so that we can just understand the truth behind what Jesus is saying and how we can apply it to our lives and our walk and how we can explain it to others and how we can point people to Jesus through it, even through hard sayings. So we thank you, Lord, for this, and we thank you that you will just bless all those who are here and all those who are watching online, all those on their trips. Keep them safe. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's verse 60 that we're kind of centering this around. And verse 60 is the one where he says, many of the disciples, remember when it says disciples here, it's referring to the crowd. It's not referring to the 12 necessarily. It's referring to the crowd. They refer to Jesus as a rabbi, which is teacher. They're disciples. That's the student. They're following Jesus. So therefore, they're learning from Jesus. So when it says in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? That word in the Greek for hard sayings it means hard, harsh, rough. If you go to James chapter 3, verse 4, it says, look at the ships. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, that word for strong there in James is the same Greek word, right? So you understand that it's, when he's saying hard sayings, it's scleros. Scleros logos is, is the two Greek words, hard sayings, scleros logos. Um, it's, they're harsh, they're rough, they're hard for you. To, to wrap your head around, hard for you to accept. They may even go against what you thought you know or what you thought you knew. So they're abrasive. They're like strong winds, right? And they aren't necessarily pushing you in a favorable, favorable direction. They're actually pushing against you and against what you believe. So there's at least three hard sayings in this chapter that even today cause problems. And it's not just causing problems with unbelievers, but they cause problems with believers too, because some of these hard sayings cause division within the church on how they apply them and what they think they mean. Now, what are the three hard sayings, right? And why do they cause problems? Well, like I said, you can tell by the crowd reactions. Right? There's three reactions in here, and each of these reactions is to a hard saying. Two of the hard sayings probably are easy for you to figure out, but the third one may not be. But we can tell by the crowd reactions. So the first statement that co- right, causes grumbling, and we see that in verse 41. In verse 41, it says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So the first hard saying was the fact that Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And it caused the crowd and those who were following him to start grumbling. Why would they be grumbling about the fact that Jesus said he was the bread that came down from heaven? Wouldn't they be excited about that? Wouldn't that be something that that, that they would want to rejoice about? What was the problem? Well, the problem was, is that Jesus was claiming to be God. That's what the problem with that statement to them was. Remember, you don't just have average ordinary citizens in the crowd because when he starts saying these things, it tells us he is in a synagogue in Capernaum. He eventually, however this conversation goes, from when they first find him to, to that one break, he's gotten into a synagogue and he started teaching. So, And then remember, the description goes from the crowd to the Jews to the disciples. It's, a, it's three different descriptions of, the, in a sense, the same crowd. But, but the, when it says Jews, usually what it's referring to, not always, but often what it's referred to is the religious 
Jews, the, the leaders, the, the scribes, the, you know, whoever's there in the synagogue. So when it says that the Jews started grumbling, it means the religious Jews, right? What are they grumbling about? They're grumbling about the fact that Jesus is claiming to be God, that he is claiming to be the bread of life. They understand the bread of life. They, that to them means manna, which God sent down from heaven, right? That Moses gave them. But Jesus is saying that he's greater than Moses. He's saying that he's God, right? Matter of fact, he says not only that he's the bread of life, but he says, of course, that he's the son of man, which is his favorite messianic reference to himself. And he says that God has set his seal on him. He says that in verse 27. But then he also says that God has sent him in verse 29. So they're, they're putting all those pieces together and they understand that Jesus is making a claim of deity that Jesus is claiming to be God, right? And this is the first hard strain saying that they struggle with. This is the one thing that people mainly struggle with today is that Jesus is God, right? Jesus is declaring to be God. That's the main problem most of the time, right? That's the main thing that causes offense today. That still causes the most grumblings today, you could say, that Jesus declared himself to be God. So much so that people say, Jesus never claimed to be God. But these people have never read a Bible, obviously, because we're only in chapter six of John. And how many times has Jesus claimed to be God? How many times are they going to try to stone Jesus or drag him out and try to kill him because they considered his, what he said blasphemous, right? And what was he saying? He was claiming to be equal with God. He was claiming to be God. So this statement from Jesus that he came down from heaven, they're having a hard time accepting it. As a matter of fact, they say right next in verse 42, right? They say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't we, we know you. This is Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How can he say that he's come down from heaven? You know, some of them might even have been like, well, you know, hey, we, I think I remember when you were born, you know? How is it that you can claim to have come down from heaven, right? I don't know if you know this, if you've ever looked into this before, um, but as far as the word of God goes, there's a couple of things you need to understand. Um, Jesus never stated in his own words that Joseph was his father. Okay? Only God was his father. Mary never stated in her own words that Jesus was the son of Joseph. And of course, as far as it's recorded, there isn't a lot recorded about Joseph, mind you, but Joseph himself never recorded. It's never recorded as saying that Jesus is his son. Because Jesus is the Son of God. That's what the Bible records, right? That's what the Bible records, that Jesus is the Son of God. The angels claim that Jesus was the Son of God. The prophets claim that Jesus was the Son of God. John the Baptist claimed, right, that Jesus was the Son of God, right? God the Father himself claims that Jesus was his beloved Son, right? As he spoke audibly, when Jesus was being baptized, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The Bible, the word of God claims that Jesus is the son of God. There's no other way to, to read it. There's no other way to understand it. That's what the Bible testifies to. Right? Jesus is of heavenly origin. Right? He, he is God with us, Emmanuel. As far as his incarnation is concerned, his birth is a supernatural, miraculous act because of his he is of heavenly origin. He has come down from heaven. Jesus is different. He didn't originate by man, yet he is fully man. 
right? He's not of this world, yet he did physically exist. He does physically exist. He wasn't a spirit. He was human, man, fully man, fully human, yet he is God, right? He's not an enlightened man. He's not an angelic being of high-ranking order. He's none of those things. He's not one of many gods. He is the one true God. He's fully God, fully man. So many find that hard to believe. Many find that offensive. It's a hard saying for many to accept, even within Christian, quote-unquote, religions. Because some of them have changed it, right? So this is why Jesus says later on, when they're grumbling about things, right, in verse 61, he says, do you take offense at this? Are you offended by the words that I'm saying? Right? And, and that's what it boils down to, is that people get offended by the words that Jesus said. They're offended because those words speak against their lifestyle or those words speak against you know, what they're doing. Those words convict them. That's what the Word of God does. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, right? It convicts people. And they don't like it. They get offended by that. And here's the thing, understanding this, this one specifically, but truly all sayings when it comes to Jesus is that you only have two choices. You either accept it or you reject it. Those are your two choices, right? You either receive it or you stumble over it. And that's what the Greek word for offense means, by the way, when Jesus later on in verse 61 saying, knowing that they're grumbling about it, says, are you offended by this, right? Knowing, of course, that they were, but still just bringing it out to discuss it, that Greek word for offense, that means, uh, it, well, it's the word uh, scandalizo, so it's the word where we get the word scandalous. That means scandalous. But it means to put a stumbling block in the way. That's what it means, right? The, the, this declaration that Jesus, having come down from heaven, that he's the bread of life that's come down from heaven, this was a stumbling block for the Jews. They immediately started grumbling and complaining about what Jesus said. Right? The death and the resurrection of Jesus was a stumbling block to the Jews, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians. Right, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. Right? It was hard for people to accept this idea. Right? But also, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, but here's the truth, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the first hard saying that they had a problem with was one of the biggest declarations, if not you know, the biggest declaration Christ made, which is that he is God. If you can't accept that one, you're not going to accept any of the other sayings that Jesus said because that's what they all come from, the fact that Jesus is God. So you have to be able to reconcile that first. If you're coming to a relationship with Christ, the thing that you have to get your head around first is that Jesus is God. But there was a second saying that also caused grumbling, caused disputes. Actually, as what it says, it says disputes. We see it in verse 52. It says, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So this was the second hard saying that they had a problem with that Jesus is talking about, right? Jesus said, you will have to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. He says this more than once just to make sure they understand what, you know, verses 50 and 51, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Verse 54, he continues on, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. Right? Continuing in verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the Father ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So Jesus just continues on with this statement and says, listen, I am the living bread. And you have to feed on me for eternal life. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's a horrific statement. That's <laughs> a very descriptive you know, statement. And then, hey, you... You know, if you had never heard that before, you might have a problem with that too if you heard Jesus say that, right? And it would seem that they, just like a lot of people, when Jesus has talked to them and he's talking to them about something spiritual, they take it for something physical and they have a hard time reconciling the two. But we understand that Jesus wasn't being literal. They seem to think he was. Right? But Jesus is using a metaphor. I'm just going to tell you up front, we'll get into this in just a second, but he's not talking about communion. He hasn't even instituted the whole idea of communion yet. We haven't even gotten to the Last Supper. This has nothing to do with communion. And anyone who uses these verses to, to uh, you know, support their views concerning communion, we'll, like I said, we'll touch on this in just a second, are wrong because that's not what Jesus is talking about here. This has nothing to do with that. But the idea, the picture of having to partake of eat of his flesh and drink of his blood obviously confused the crowd. And that's probably putting it nicely. Right? It was bizarre. It was offensive to them. Um, you know, it, uh, it stumbled them. It was graphic imagery. You have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Oh, it's disgusting. You know? I didn't sign up for that. What are you talking about? How are we going to eat of his flesh? I mean, that's why they have a problem. It says they started disputing amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? When it says they're disputing, that means they were probably, everyone had sort of a different idea. Well, what does he mean by that? And they started arguing back and forth about what exactly does Jesus mean? How are we going to eat of his flesh, right? It was, you know, and ultimately this is the saying that sends many packing. But here's the thing. Obviously, we understand that Jesus is not saying, take a bite of me, right? Jesus didn't reach out his hand and go, here, here you go, have a bite, right? This is how you become a disciple. Take a chunk, right? He's not, he's not saying that. We understand he's not saying that. And it's a ridiculous thing to think of that, that you could even take him literally. But see, Jesus had already made a distinction between the spiritual and the physical leading up to this point. He had already made this distinction, right? It, it wasn't physical sustenance they needed. It wasn't the manna or the, you know, the bread from heaven that they thought of, the manna that came, that God sent down and that Moses gave them. This wasn't what they needed. He already told them that, right? What you needed was something spiritual. They needed spiritual bread. They needed the bread of life. They needed Jesus. So he's already made this distinction between physical and spiritual. So, and he's compared himself to the manna. He's told him that he's greater than Moses. He told him that the manna, that, that the manna was supplied by God. It really wasn't given by Moses. And that the manna, even, even though as good as it was, as bread from heaven, having come down from God, did not give them eternal life. Their fathers ate of it in the wilderness and their fathers died. So it was good. 
but it didn't provide eternal life. But yet Jesus is like the manna in the sense that he came down from heaven. But unlike the manna, the the life that Jesus gives, the bread that Jesus gives, the bread of life, because he is the bread of life, the life that he gives lasts for eternity. It's eternal life through Jesus. So he's already made this distinction between the physical and the spiritual. And what he says is, is that the physical isn't going to help you at all. What you need is this, right? The bread of life. So what is he telling them then? He's saying, partake of me, right? Consume me, not physically, spiritually. I am the bread of life. You need me to have eternal life. Partake of me, consume me. That's what he's saying. I mean, we get all excited from a, a burger from Dick's Drive-In, right? We go and we get the Dick's Deluxe and the Dick's Deluxe and the shake. But he's saying, are you that excited for partaking of me? Right? Don't be a nibbler. Don't be a sipper. Right? Fully consume me. That's the relationship that I want you to have with me. This is what you need because the physical is not going to save you. I am the bread of life. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. In the Greek, the word feeds, it, it's, it's about fellowship. That's what it means. Where you fellowship with Jesus and benefit from it, benefit from it eternally. So he's saying, partake of me. And this isn't the last time that Jesus is going to speak like this. Again, later, the Last Supper, when he does institute communion, when they do take the bread and the wine, and he flips that whole meal on its head by changing what the meaning of everything is, right? You could say the words that he says there says there are complementary to the words that he says here in John 6, because he says that, hey, the bread broken at this table is my body, and the cup that you're drinking of, this is the new covenant in my blood. It's very complementary to what he had said back in John chapter 6. But again, he's speaking metaphorically. He's not speaking literally. He's not saying this bread is my body, and this wine is my blood, right? He's saying it is like it. It's symbolic. It's the act of communion. The act of eating bread and drinking wine was a symbolic act of their faith in Jesus. Now, this is where it causes problems within the church because when they take these verses here in John 6 and, and they take the, the idea of the Last Supper and the communion and they put it together, they say, they say specifically in Catholic and Orthodox churches, but even in Lutheran churches, right? they say that, hey, the, 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 the bread and the wine are miraculously transformed into Jesus' actual flesh and blood. Or somehow Jesus imbues the bread and the wine with his real presence, right? Transubstantiation or however it's pronounced, right? And it's un, and also referred to as consubstantiation, right? And where they, where they actually think that, uh, that it's turning into the flesh and the blood of Jesus when you partake of it. So therefore, for your salvation, you have to partake in communion and partake of the flesh and the blood of Christ to be saved. If you don't, you won't be you understand? But that makes your salvation based on works. But not only that, Jesus never said that. That's not what he was saying because he wasn't speaking literally. And he's not talking about his body and his blood being, you know, bread turning into his body and, his, and the wine turning into his blood, right? Because they're ignoring what Jesus also says in this same chapter in verse 63, When Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. What Jesus is saying there in that passage is he's saying, listen, I wasn't speaking literally. I'm speaking metaphorically. The flesh profits you nothing. 
It's the spirit that gives life. In other words, the physical is not going to help you. It's the spiritual that you need. You need a new birth. You need a new life. You need the bread of life. You need me. So Jesus himself is telling them, don't misconstrue what I'm talking about here. I'm not literally saying you need to come up and start trying you know, to put me on the roast and cook me for dinner. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying like that at all. But for those whose minds were stuck on the physical and they couldn't make the jump to the spiritual, they missed it. They missed it entirely. They missed the truth of his words. Right? That's why it was so difficult for him to accept. But then we get to the third thing. And the third thing is tied in, obviously, with everything, because it's all tied together, because this is part of Jesus' response to the crowd. Right? He's already told them, listen, I'm God, and I am the bread of life. I've come down from heaven, and you need to partake of me to have eternal life. But it's the third saying that ultimately they turn away from. Right? And we see in the first, uh, um, let's see, what was the third one? Let's see. When he says uh, offense, right? In verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, what were they grumbling about? They're grumbling about the fact that Jesus was saying you had to partake of him. Right? That was something they already had a problem with. But it's just continuing on. And this is what he tells them. Do you take offense at this? Right? Is this stumbling you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Then it tells us in parentheses, for Jesus knew from the beginning whose those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And then he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now, what's Jesus saying? Because this is a hard saying. Even today, in the church. This is more of a hard saying in the church today, but, it, but here it applies to the crowd. Right? He's referencing what he had already said previously in his response. When he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. It's continuing a thread that he started back in verse 44. And in verse 44 he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He says, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. He's quoting Isaiah 54, by the way, 54 verse 13. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, understand that, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, a lot of people have heard, not a lot of people have learned, okay? But everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Who is he referencing? Himself. Right? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. What's the key phrase there? Whoever believes has eternal life. Believes what? Believes Jesus is the Son of God. Believes Jesus was sent by God. Believes that Jesus is God. Whoever believes has eternal life. Now, the problem that people have is the verse that says no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him they're having the problem with Jesus saying that why are they having the problem with Jesus saying that because Jesus already knew their hearts and he already knew who was going to reject him and what he was telling them is 
listen, you don't even come to me unless God the Father has sent you. Do you understand? God the Father draws all people to Jesus. Some he draws kicking and screaming. Some come willingly. But all people are drawn to Jesus by God the Father. He says, you aren't even, you couldn't even be standing here in front of me trying to figure out who I am or understand what I'm doing unless God the Father brought you to me. So therefore, when you reject me, understand that you're rejecting God the Father. That's what he's saying. Right? He's, what he's telling them here has to do with them rejecting him. He, and he's being very clear about it. Right? Right? That's why they're grumbling, complaining, disputing, and ultimately why they're going to walk away. Because, because what they've actually done is reject God the Father. And because they've done that, right? Well, they've rejected Jesus. And when you reject Jesus, you reject God the Father. How do we know this? Well, first of all, just here in this chapter, verse 40, it says, for this is the will of my Father, this is what Jesus said, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. First of all, that's a, that's a you know, that points to the serpent on the pole back in Moses' day. That's what he's saying. That's about Him on the cross, right? right? Everyone who looks at me on the cross and believes in me through my death and my resurrection, who puts their faith in me, is going to have eternal life, and I'm going to raise them on the last day. That's what he's saying, right? It's God's will. He says in verse 40, for it is the will of the Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes should have eternal life. It is the will of the Father. That means if it is the will of the Father that all who look on the Son should have eternal life, that if you look on the Son and refuse to believe in Him, then you're not doing the will of the Father, right? Now, what does that mean to a Jew? Well, that's a slap in the face to a Jew, right? That's a slap in the face. You reject, by rejecting his son, you're rejecting the father, and you follow the logical steps, right? If we, if we flash back into earlier st- statements that we read in John as we've been studying through it, right? John three thirty six. whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Okay, there's a hard saying right there. But what is it saying? It's the exact same thing that Jesus just said here. It's saying that if you believe in me, you have eternal life. But if you don't believe in me, well, then you have not just rejected me, but you've rejected the, the Father, and the wrath of God is going to remain on you. It doesn't get taken off. It doesn't get removed. It remains on you. Right? And then he says in chapter 5, which we were in not too long ago, he says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Right? So this hard saying, right, this hard saying, when Jesus says that, um, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, this hard saying this statement from Jesus, which ultimately leads for them turning their back on Jesus and walking away. This hard saying is explained to them that in reality, their rejection of him is a rejection of God the Father. And notice that it's verse 666. Coincidence or not, you figure it out yourself, right? It says that many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why? Because the Jews believed that they were chosen by God through their natural birth. And for them to think or for someone to tell them that they were dishonoring God by rejecting Jesus would go against everything that they believed. 
That was a slap in the face. They weren't going to accept it. They weren't going to accept it, and Jesus knew that. He already knew that. He already knew who was going to, you know, notice it doesn't say all of them, it says some of them, right? So there are those in the crowd who had believed in Jesus, who were believing in Jesus by what he had done, but there are those, the Jews, mainly, as far as we know, so probably the religious, who, who heard what Jesus said and rejected it. And by doing so, they rejected God the Father, and that's what Jesus is telling them, and that's ultimately why they turned away, right? The idea that they need to accept and believe in Jesus was an insult to them, right? We're chosen by God, right? We're his people. We don't need Jesus. We're holy. We're, we're spiritual. We're morally good. We don't need you, Jesus. We're good. We got it, which is pretty much the mindset of most unbelievers in the world. We don't need Jesus. Sure, we do some bad stuff, but we do good stuff too, and it's going to balance out. Because ultimately, I'm a good person, right? Ultimately, I'm a, gr- a good person. I don't need Jesus. Well, yes, you do. You need Jesus. Because God draws you to Jesus, and you have a choice to make. And that choice is to accept his words or to reject his words. That's the choice. And the Jews and a lot of the people in this crowd rejected it. They couldn't, they, they, they didn't, they couldn't accept it. These were hard sayings. Right? Listen, man has no ability to come to God on his own. Nor does he even have the desire to come to God. His heart's hardened, his mind is darkened. It's an act of God. It's an act of God. It's an act of the, of the Holy Spirit. Right? So God draws him. And he doesn't just draw the elect. And he doesn't just draw the chosen. And he doesn't just draw the morally upstanding. He draws all people. That's what the Bible tells us. Right? He draws all people. But what we have to understand is being drawn by God does not equal believing in God. Right? Being drawn by God to Jesus does not equal you putting your faith in Jesus. Jesus puts the qualifier right in there. Right? He says, all those who believe in me Right? God has drawn you to me, but eternal life is for all those who believe in me. So God's going to draw all people, but it's only those who believe in me that get eternal life. Right? It's two separate actions. And as we see here, many were drawn to Jesus, and many turned their back on him and walk away. To believe in Jesus, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It takes the work of the cross. Matter of fact, in verse 51, what does Jesus says? He says, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Guess what? He is referring to the cross at that point. He's not saying you're going to eat my flesh. He's saying it's my flesh that I am giving. It's my, I am sacrificing myself for you so that you can have life. That's what he's saying. That's a picture of Jesus on the cross, right? What he gave to save us was his flesh. Physical food gives us earthly life, but Christ's sacrifice on the cross gives us heavenly life. It gives us eternal life. That's what he's telling them. You know, when we fast forward to John chapter 12, 12 verse 32, we're not there yet, but if we fast forward to John chapter 12, he says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, it will draw all people to myself. What's he talking about? He's talking about the cross. And remember, as Jesus already stated back in John 5, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. 
So therefore, if Jesus is drawing all people to himself, that's what the Father is doing, is drawing all people to Jesus. Through what? Through the cross. Right? So the Father is drawing all people to Jesus, but not all people accept Jesus. So yes, some will not accept him for who he is, the Son of God, God the Son. They're offended by him. They will turn and walk away. But here's what to remember. Take this. This is one verse. Right? It's actually in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse uh, 23. It said, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And that's what we need to remember, right? We need to be like the disciples who at the end of this chapter right here, in verse 67, it says, finally Jesus gets to the 12. You can imagine what the 12 have been thinking about for this whole conversation and watching everybody's response and Jesus talking to the crowds. You know, they, right? Jesus turns to them finally here at the end of the chapter and he says, do you want to go away as well? Are you guys as offended as they were? Are you guys as, you know, quarreling and, and uh, disputing like they are? Do you guys want to leave also? Understand that he's still not going to change what he says. He's still not going to change his word. If they had said, yes, we're leaving. We're out of here, man. We don't, we don't get this at all. He would have been like, okay, you know, go with the rest of them. But Simon Peter answers him and he says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's where we need to be. If we haven't come to that spot in your relationship with God yet, if you haven't come to that spot where you have nowhere else to go and you know it, because only true life is only found in Jesus. And regardless of what's thrown at you, regardless of, of the questions, regardless of the hard sayings, regardless of the conflicts and the division, regardless of everything else that you're seeing, you know you're not leaving Jesus. Because true life is only there. If you haven't gotten to that point yet, you need to be at that point. And how do you get to that point? You partake with, with Jesus. You eat of his flesh, you drink of his blood. You understand that he's God. And you understand that God drew you to him and you put your faith in him and you just, right, partake of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your words. And we pray, Lord, that you just work these out uh, in our lives and help us have a clear understanding of who Jesus is for us, but also for others, Lord, that, that we're pointing them to, that we're pointing them towards Jesus. So we just thank you for this. We thank you for your words. We thank you for the life that's found in the word of God and that true life is only found in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we all in our walks have gotten to that point in our life. And if we're not there, I pray we get there soon, Lord, where we understand that that true life is only found in Jesus and there is nowhere else to go. So despite everything else that's going on, we're not walking away. We're not turning our backs. We're staying with Jesus because we understand the truth of who he is. And we understand the truth of what he did for us. And we understand that true life, eternal life is only found in him. So we pray, Lord, that we can just continue to point people to Jesus and be a light in the darkness. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.